Welcome to the United Church Podcast. We're a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love and walking in the ways of Jesus. We're striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you're encouraged and challenged by this week's homily. May the peace of Christ be with you. You can't say that. You're upsetting everyone. You're causing trouble. You're not helping. Shh. I don't know if you know this or not, but I've been told these things more often than not. I, I, I've been told speaking up and speaking out is divisive. It destroys peace. It stirs dissension. The other day, someone quite literally told me, you're so controversial on Facebook. But do you know what I've been posting about? Racism. I've been calling racism and white supremacy evil that calling white supremacy and racism evil is seen as controversial, it just shows how deeply woven into the fabric of our society it is and that we've never actually changed. That this is still a tenable position. And so, stop creating controversy, division, chaos. The other day I was listening to Throughline on NPR. It's, it's a great podcast that gives us a glimpse into how history echoes into the present. Well, one of the more recent ones was about the singer Billie Holiday and her song, Strange Fruit. Have you ever heard this song? It was at first a poem that was set to music by Billie Holiday and performed in front of white audiences. It's a brilliant song that wasn't so much about what had happened, but about something that was happening now. Billie Holiday would get on stage and demand the silence of the white audience. She wouldn't begin until it was absolutely silent demanding their attention, their reverence. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of magnolias sweet and fresh, than the sudden smell of burning flesh. Lynchings were running rampant throughout the country, and in the 1930s, Billie Holiday stood up in front of white audiences in cabarets and at Carnegie Hall and hauntingly sang those lyrics. Strange Fruit was named the greatest protest song of the 20th century. But it wasn't without controversy. Government officials warned her to stop singing it altogether, threatening her with jail if she didn't abide, because it was too upsetting, it was too divisive, it was too awful. 
It forced you to confront the injustice happening at a starting at a startling clip all around you. But she never relented. And every night to end her set, she demanded the silence and sang her protest, giving sight to the evil that everyone was too blind to see or too numb to pay attention to. Billie Holiday was arrested, thrown in jail, and ultimately it cost her her life. Don't go too far now. Don't upset the apple cart. Sit here in the middle. Fill the gap in the middle and find common ground between both sides. Moderate. This call for justice is just too divisive, they say. You'll never make any progress by calling evil evil. You'll only upset one side of the aisle in favor of the other, and you'll only divide the church. Just preach Jesus, they say. That's all you're supposed to do anyway. Stop being so political. Preach Jesus. Get him converted. Get him saved. That's how you will change the world. Because your silence in the face of evil will change the world. Does that sound about right? And sure, I know it can be exhausting. We wrestle with the questions, is this helping? Is saying something doing any good? Or am I just adding to the noise? Can I really affect change? Or is everything just so embedded that talk of justice, work of justice, is just going to keep going asunder? And we find ourselves increasingly despondent questioning how it fits with our faith. Does it fit? Can it? Because it seems like everywhere we look, faith leaders and Christians continue to decry justice work as divisive rhetoric that's incongruous with faith, like oil and water. Which is strange, I have to admit, because that's not the Jesus I see in Scripture. In fact, that's not even the way the early church understood the followership of Jesus, which is what's so great about Acts chapter 4. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Tracy just read parts of it. Peter and John healing a man at the gate called Beautiful. We, we talked about how this was an act of justice, of restoration, but what we didn't talk about was the fallout, about what happened on the other side of the gate when they all walked together into the temple courts. You see, the crowd saw Jamal. Remember, that's what we named him last time around. And, and they recognized him. They saw this man whom they didn't know, who used to sit outside of the gate, outside of the temple, outside of the religious community, separated and apart from the community of God. And they were astounded, surprised, amazed. How was he walking and jumping and smiling? What happened? And they swarmed the man and Peter and John to see this miraculous sight, to see the lame man they'd ignored year after year, the one they'd stepped over or around, always avoiding eye contact to minimize their guilt to now lay their eyes on him, to see him, to watch him jumping around the temple courts. And Peter spoke. 
Why are you all so surprised? Do you not recognize the kingdom of God standing here right before you? Do you not see that this is what God has always done throughout our history and now through Jesus? That Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God, a kingdom that looks like this. A kingdom where the man whom you never saw, the man whom you ignored and stepped over, is now the life of the party. Where everyone who was on the bottom is now at the top with you. This was all made possible, Peter said, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because never before could this world exist, but now... Because of Jesus, because of the mystery of the cross and the miracle of resurrection, it is. This world has been turned upside down, and now you get to witness it firsthand. You get to witness this world and this kingdom being restored back to the way it was always supposed to be through Jesus. Jamal has been restored. Can you see now? Jamal is now on equal footing with you all. Jamal can now enter into these courts, can walk on his own through the gate called beautiful because justice has come into this place. But here's the thing. It's it's actually bigger than Jamal. It, it can be more widespread than this. If all you do is repent, repent of your wickedness, the ways that overlook Jamal, that, that keep him on the bottom, that press him and push him and perpetually oppress him. Repent of the systemic ills. Turn away from them. And because of Jesus, through you, God will restore everything as he promised long ago. And you can imagine... This upset the apple cart. Peter and John weren't straddling the middle. They were carving a new way forward by demonstrating and proclaiming a new way where justice came down and the world could be different. And they were arrested for it. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I was taught numerous times that Peter and John were arrested for preaching Jesus, that this was persecution, and consequently, to preach Jesus is dangerous. And, and sure, this is partly true, but it's only part of the story. You see, as Peter stood before the court, he said, filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers and elders... If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to this man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, reveals the reason, the real reason that he and John were arrested. It wasn't for speaking. It was for an act of kindness, for doing good. Now, this word here is actually really fascinating because it only occurs a couple of times in Scripture. The other places in 1 Timothy 6, too, talking about how masters should elevate their slaves into positions of equality, of seeing their slaves as their brother, which is so interesting, and a longer conversation for another day. But, but Scripture doesn't say what we think. It says about slavery. Through beautifully and subversive ways, it completely destroys it. If only we'd listened to this prior to the Civil War. 
But here, Peter's using the same word that talks about kindness as a means of justice, of, of restoring the world back to the way it was meant to be, of, of recording, of reordering the world, and saying to those on the bottom, they now occupy a spot on the top with everyone else. And this, this is the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus preached in his very first sermon in Luke chapter 4, that, that he'd come to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. This is the upside-down work of the kingdom of God. And this is what Peter and John were arrested for. Just preach Jesus, they say. Well, just preaching Jesus is about reordering the world. It's about justice come to set the world to rights. Preaching Jesus apart from justice is not actually preaching Jesus at all, because this is our God. God sees the injustice in the world, and He wants to change it. God wants and needs us to enter into repentance of turning away from the wicked and sinful ways that press and push people down, turning them away from our complicity in the systems and structures of the world. Peter and John did so much more than simply heal Jamal. They showed the world what the kingdom of God is like, and people saw it, and they ran towards it. They were astounded and amazed by what they just witnessed and jumped in with both feet into this topsy-turvy way of living and being. You see, this is what revs me up. I, I mean it. This, this, the kingdom of God is this. This is the vision of the kingdom that I've been given and that I've latched onto, and this is why I'm a Christian. I'd have left Jesus long ago otherwise, because really, if it's not going to change the world, then what's the point? Jesus doesn't mean anything. No, I'm serious. I, I, I can make friends anywhere, but I can only be a part of a movement that changes the world, that turns things upside down, a movement that restores everything back to the way that it was supposed to be through Jesus. You see, the kingdom of God is a disruptive force in the world. It's a disruptive power. It disrupts power and status. It, leaves, it levels the playing field for everyone. And here, Peter and John not only are demonstrating that disruption by healing Jamal, by restoring him in the right, in the right order of the world, but they do it by proclaiming that this is what the kingdom of God is like through Jesus. No matter how hard people want to try, you cannot separate justice from the biblical mandate, the command of Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's intention for the world we inhabit. I, I was taking a walk through Ballard the other day while Elliot was in her gymnastics class, and I, I stumbled across this trailer parked nearby. Painted on the sides were the words of the Archbishop of South Africa, Desmond Tutu. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. You see, there is no neutrality in injustice. There is no straddling the line. There is no moderate middle. There is no radical middle for injustice. And sure, some of you, for some of you, this is really difficult. It's hard to wrap your mind around. And you might even be thinking, gosh, this sounds like a hardline fundamentalist speaking here. And you'd be right. This is a fundamentalist position. 
It's a fundamentalist approach for justice because that is what the kingdom of God is like. That is what Jesus is like. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Micah 6, 8 lays it out pretty clearly. What does God require of us? To do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And just a side note here, many scholars say this verse is actually a summary of the Ten Commandments, distilled down into three. And that was, in fact, a precursor to the greatest commandments, to love God and love people. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. So let me say this as clearly as I can. Don't allow others to gaslight you into believing that fighting for justice is divisive. Because to remain neutral is actually the most divisive space you can hold. To remain neutral is to occupy the divide between right and wrong. To hold the ground and say there are very fine people on both sides. Don't allow others to press you into saying, or into staying in the divisive moderate middle. Don't allow others to squash your voice and demean your actions because if you were neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. This is why we teach the circle so much as a community. It's a tool that helps us to listen well to the Spirit of God so that we can engage where He's at work. It's why we constantly ask, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? And these two questions, this practice of listening to the Spirit of God is what led me to work in the CHOP earlier this year as an interfaith chaplain, as a a protest chaplain, standing in that space among the people, talking and praying, groaning with them, absorbing their grief and pain and trauma into my own being. It was impossible to not see that Jesus was already there, in that place, doing the work of justice, of mercy, of love in the hearts and minds of those that had gathered. And you know, I'm sure I would have missed it if it hadn't been for a happy band of Jesuit priests who stumbled across our little space. We've been looking everywhere for you, they exclaimed. We were just lamenting together that there was no spiritual guidance or presence in this space. No one to pull back the curtain and reveal that Jesus is here. As they pointed to the streets filled with people, one of the priests wistfully waved his hand over the crowd and exhaled with relief. Can't you see it? Can't you see the Holy Spirit moving in this place and among the people? It was at that moment that my eyes were opened. Yes. Yes, I could. God is already in this place all around us. Jesus is already near. The Holy Spirit is at work. And our work is to pull back the curtain and reveal this truth, to show our neighbors, our friends, our family, that the kingdom of God is at hand. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Seattle as it is in heaven. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.